the honest truth is that it's ugly and it's emotional and it's stressful. And we, I think we really transitioned to knowing that this was going to be a larger project or a full length film after, and I'm going to blow pieces of the movie here, but after my sister donated eggs to me or to us. Welcome to Inside Reproductive Health, the shop talk of the fertility field. Here you'll hear authentic and unscripted conversations about practice management, patient relations, and business development from the most forward-thinking experts in our field. Now here's the founder of Fertility Bridge and the host of Inside Reproductive Health, Griffin Jones. Today on the show, I'm joined by Maya Grubel. Maya is a California licensed clinical social worker and psychotherapist. She belongs to the mental health professional subgroup of ASRM and SEEDS, which is the Society for Ethics in Egg Donation and Surrogacy. She is very passionate about working with this population and about the concept of embryo donation. She has written for various media outlets, including the New York Times, Fertility Smarts, and Pregnantish. And you might know her from the same place that I first found, Maya, which is a documentary feature-length film that she did with her husband, Noah, that aired on Netflix, is still available at the time of this podcast on Netflix and iTunes, Amazon, Vimeo On Demand called One More Shot. Maya, thank you so much for coming on Inside Reproductive Health. Thank you for having me. This is a cool segue because for National Infertility Awareness Week, we've been talking to more people from the trying to conceive community and not just the, the field of fertility field uh, of fertility, the professional side of the field who we normally talk to. You're an interesting bridge because you're an MHP who helps people in this space. But I came to you because my creative director, Ashley, said you have to watch this movie. It's called One More Shot. And I don't watch a lot of TV. I don't consume a ton of content in general, but I was really I had the flu a couple weeks ago. And I thought, well, I, can't, I just can't sit physically at my desk right now. I need to lie down. And my workaholic guilt is bugging me that I'm lying down. So if I watch one more shot, then I'll be, it, it will. It was credit. Purposes. Yeah. And I can't tell you how much I admired it, partly because this is this type of storytelling that I always wanted to do for clinics. It's better to say that I wanted to help clinics create these stories and tell these stories for their patient base. And, you know, it's not a super high budget film, but it's probably something above uh, many marketing budgets or you just had the, the access to the length, but talk to us about how the, the documentary got started, why it was important for you to tell this story and then how the heck it got on Netflix. Sure. And this was beyond a low budget production. <laughs> I will just tell you, we did not have an actual video camera for the first two years of shooting because it's quite expensive to go through infertility treatments, let alone also try to make a movie about it simultaneously. So um, definitely, you know, production was was low budget, but what was important was that we were telling a very specific story and you know, it's kind of great timing for us to be chatting with National Infertility Awareness Week, you know, being now or, or coming right up because the, the really the main 
goal of this film is to create awareness about what it really is like for patients, for somebody, you know, an average couple going through fertility and trying to figure out how to make a family when the old fashioned way just doesn't work. And, you know, it's about our relationship. And throughout the film, we interviewed different people who created their family in different ways through egg donation, surrogacy, adoption, you know, and to me, that was really helpful because it helped me realize if you're open and if you're flexible, emotionally and mentally flexible, and your goal is to parent, then you will have a family some way. And so, you know, we we started this journey of, of making this film with no intentions to make a film. No and I met in college in a film class and our DP, our director of photography, Gabe, was also we all lived together in college and we just filmed stuff. I mean, Noah would edit, you know, splicing film and, and cutting it up. And the two of them were both film majors. So it was really natural for us to document and to film big events in our life since we were 20 years old. So, you know, we we tried to conceive for about two years naturally with some, you know, basic early tests and doing Clomid and just me being with my ob And we weren't getting anywhere. And I was 30 at the time that we started this process. So it wasn't like I felt I had missed the boat or, you know, allowed too much time to pass or something like, you know, and everything, basic tests looked healthy. And, you know, I do yoga. So, you know, I look healthy. So, you know, it's like we tried for two years and then we decided it was probably time for us to see a reproductive endocrinologist. And so before that meeting, we thought, well, let's just see if he'll let us bring a camera, not knowing where it would go. And so we just shot that. And that was really, it it sounds kind of crazy to admit it that it sort of unfolded in that way, but that's just kind of what we did. And so we invited Gabe along to this first Actually, now that I'm saying it, it does sound kind of really crazy. We invited our friend with the camera along to the first RE appointment. I couldn't imagine. So talk about that conversation with Gabe. And did you and Noah have a precursor conversation to that? Because I couldn't imagine two of my (laughs) friends saying, hey, let's have Griff come along and just document everything that we do. Or or was it just like, we're just going to go to this one appointment? No, you know, it was... We had a convert. I mean, and again, it was normal to us because we just filmed stuff like we documented. We, you know, he Gabe, Noah works as a television producer. Gabe is more in the, on the educational side, but he's a professor at USC in digital media. And, you know, so and anthrop- you know, he in digital media and we just this is what we did. So it was it was very normal for us to say, hey, let's bring a camera and just start documenting. And we thought we might end up needing to do IVF, which felt like a very big deal. Um, We thought, okay, maybe we'll end up doing IVF. And this would be a really interesting three to five minute document to our child about the different, you know, how this child came into the world in a different way. And, you know, babies are made one way. And now with science, they're made in another way. So for me, it was really, you know, going to be a personal story. At the time also, by two years into trying to conceive, I had really uncovered this under 
underground world of the TTC community that I had knew nothing about. I had no friends going through infertility. Everybody actually was, you know, having their first, second kids and stuff like that. So I didn't have a community. I didn't have anybody that I related to. And I didn't find materials that related to me and my experience. You know, there'd be some video of like a, an empty nursery with the rain and like a, you know, a sad woman crying and like, yeah, I felt all that, but that didn't describe my experience. So I thought, okay, we can make this little video and maybe we throw it out there to the world to show what it kind of really looks like for people. Cause it just didn't exist. So that was the initial intention. Sorry. Go ahead. Where did you find the TTC? You said you discovered them. Where? You know, I, I like Googled trying to conceive. And then all these acronyms came up and I was like, oh my God, this is a whole new language. I don't even know what this means. And, oh, you know, here's these diagnosis and here's this, and these are the blogs. And, you know, and then I started my own blog called don't count your eggs. And I don't, you know, really it was so that whatever, I didn't have to talk about this with family and they could just like read what was going on, you know, in a way it was just, you know, it was my, for me, I process through writing. And so, you know, I put this blog up and also I have roots in social work and advocacy. So I just felt like sharing was an important piece because this is such an isolating experience and there's so much shame and stigma associated with infertility. And I was going, wait a minute, I have like a medical diagnosis here. Why should I feel ashamed just because it's taking place in my reproductive system? So I started blogging and my blog actually, it was nominated two years in a row. It's a two year failure of, or two, uh, it was nominated for the resolve, you know, blog of hope and whatever. And so it got, I, I started to build a little bit of a community and really learn about what people were going through the emotional challenges. People would write me from all over the the world, you know, talking about how in this country, education isn't legal and how, the, and I started, it just opened up this whole new world of fertility struggles. And I went, whoa, what we're going through, our story is just a version of the story of, you know, 7.3 plus million people in America alone, let alone the rest of the world who have real barriers, single women who don't have access to certain treatments in different countries. And, you know, and, and so many things that I just kind of went, okay, you know, documenting this felt a little bit more important. And we never knew where it was going to go. But we knew so at what point is this in the timeline where you start having that feeling? Because it doesn't sound like it's in the beginning when you're asking your friend to come along with the camera. At what point is it several months in? Is it yeah, because this is a long journey? Yeah, it you know, it was kind of we just we just started filming and we just said we're just going to keep filming. So we had a camera in the house. We interviewed each other. You know, and I guess I'll add my husband, he and I have very different temperaments. <laughs> I, I'm quite open, not that he's not open, but I'm kind of outspoken and I share really easily and I don't care if it's about my vagina. I can say the word vagina. I'm okay with that. And he's a bit more introverted and processes a little differently. So it actually helped us go through this emotional experience with having a camera there because I feel like it gave him a little bit of a barrier to 
kind of be behind the camera. It was like a safe space for my emotional, you know, expressions. And, you know, as we started going through it and kind of working on it together, it also gave us something tactile to do. I mean, we were trying treatments, inseminations and, you know, ovulation tests of trying naturally. I mean, we were just doing all this stuff and nothing came of it. And we kind of felt like, all right, we can't really make a baby, but maybe we can make a film. Again, it started out being maybe it's a seven minute film. Maybe it's a 10 minute film. Oh, maybe we could submit to festivals. Oh, oh, you know, and and as our life, as our life and our sort of reproductive adventures, for lack of a better word, start to unfold, we were just kind of down this abyss and we realized, okay, this didn't work, that didn't work. And the question came up, what do people do when nothing is working. You know, when you've got the best doctor in town and you're spending the money and you're doing the acupuncture and you're, you know, you're doing everything you're supposed to do. What happens when you want a family and your body isn't doing what it needs to do to get there? And that became a really important question. You know, how do you talk about it with people? How do you process things as a couple? He and I worked together for 10 years before we started trying. So we had a pretty solid foundation, but the relationship gets shaky at times, you know, and I think that's an honest truth. And, you know, the, the way IVF is kind of sometimes portrayed in the media, it's very, you know, we went in and we did this and now we have twins and it's, the honest truth is that it's ugly and it's emotional and it's stressful. And we, I think we really transitioned to knowing that this was going to be a larger project or a full length film after, and I'm going to blow pieces of the movie here, but after my sister donated eggs to me or to us and that cycle didn't result in anything. And it was this moment where I was just broken and devastated. And my husband who had to constantly play this role of husband versus film producer, you know, I'm just like sobbing. And he goes, he's, he's like, this is awful. This is so terrible. I don't know what we're going to do, but it's kind of good for the movie, you know, and that allowed us to go, okay, we have a different focus. We can say we're, the end is going to be there. We're going to figure this out. We just don't know how yet. And so everything along the way became part of our journey. And we actually, at one point after that, we started following another couple, Candace and Tommaso, who our parents threw, because we realized we couldn't film forever and we actually might not have an ending. That was the hardest conversation to have that we kind of went, okay, we're, we've spent, you know, tens of thousands of dollars already. We've done IVF. We've done IUI. My sister donated eggs to me. We're... It's just kind of coming up to a, a head here. So we started interviewing them more and adding them into the film a little bit more because they had a happy ending. Adoption exists. It's there for people. It wasn't something we engaged in researching adoption and seeing if that was a good choice for us. And we weren't there yet, but we knew that we could get there if that was it. And we just knew that we couldn't film indefinitely. So that was probably the hardest conversation to have. But again, these are real conversations. This stuff is expensive and people have to make choices that consider their, all of their resources, financial, emotional, relational, you know, mental health, all of it, all considered in making these decisions and, and your belief system too, you know, about 
getting help, having a surrogate or a donor or whatever else, you know, so it's really all of these fundamental pieces kind of come together. And that's what this film is about. And it, it is a really good resource for patients. And, you know, most of the people that watch the film and write to us from, you know, it's, it's in 40 countries. So we actually get we get comments or emails from all over the place. And it really connects to patients. But as we've been showing it a little bit more in different places, inviting more REs and doctors and, and whatnot, we've really, we've gotten great feedback from the doctors about understanding what happens behind closed doors for their patients. What is it like emotionally when they bring out the egg donor conversation, you know, and I think it helps with patient sensitivity and it helps practitioners and medical staff. Like, you know, I, we use it as a training for a pharmacy out here, you know, and it was just helpful for people to be able to see, OK, this is what the emotional stuff is. And that's why some of these women come in kind of nuts. <laughs> it had to be long, long form content, too, in my opinion, because it. This story has been told via vlogs and it's been told, you know, via, certainly via like highlight clips from the clinic side. But I think it has to be told long form this way because there are so many existential self-debates that you and Noah were having both with yourselves and with each other that it's like, yeah, you have to have this all throughout the journey. There's so many micro decisions that are. Like, you know, you talked about the, the scene with your sister and deciding that she would donate eggs. And that was a tough decision for you and Noah, you know, and you're, you're thinking this out and you're talking this out. And so I think this it had to be long form because there's so much nuance to it. I mean, just to say, you know, the journey's hard because people say dumb stuff like if you just relax it will happen like we can capture that in a little social media card but to really like go through all of the forks in the road that you have to take to where you're going is like is it over do we do something else and they're not being a clear cut this is the perfect solution for you right now to me, that was that's probably the best way that somebody that's totally unfamiliar with the journey could understand it. Yeah. And we had like 200 hours of footage. <laughs> so we, you know, getting it down to the 90 minutes that it is, was, you know, was hard. But also I think it is coherent, you know, in in that moment with my sister where we were deciding, you know, it really it takes a little bit of time and space to show this transition from, you know, an idea like egg donation being kind of scary and weird and uncomfortable. And, you know, my sister and my husband are going to make me a baby. Like, what is that about? You know, and that transition from not being kind of strange to being kind of like, okay, actually the best choice. So maybe it's interesting. I'm curious about it. How do I shift perspectives. How do I understand what that means? So it's like you're moving through these doors from weird to interesting to accepting that this is what you're going to do and feeling comfortable and confident. And I think, you know, when I work with my clients, I'm, I'm a therapist now and I specialize with working with infertility patients, but we talk about this shift through these different doors because I think it's so valuable. If you told me I was going to be a parent, and again, I'm blowing the ending here, but if you told me I was going to be a parent through embryo donation, when I started this journey, I would have told you you were out of your damn mind, right? But it took all of the, this, 
the stuff, all of the the pieces of this journey to be able to move through this door of weird and uncomfortable to curious and interesting. And then to what I think is most exciting, which is kind of a hard word to always use, but um, confidence. You know, you can't engage in something that's going to create a child unless you are totally confident and comfortable that this is the right thing for you. And, you know, no, and I thought we'd have a glass of wine and do our thing and have a baby, you know, like that's that. And so this idea that we were going to have other people's genetic pieces and doctors and, you know, the years and years and, and tens of thousands of years to finally get to a point where we have thought we, you know, literally have a bottle of wine and do that's a hard journey and you need a little space to tell that story. So yeah, it's a full length film because of that. And because it just had really natural sort of dips, natural sort of moments of defeat and, and triumph. And we wanted to include other people's stories because that's what was helping me. And because this is such an isolating journey, the infertility journey is just so isolating. It really helped me to see that you can make babies and have a family in a different way. And it wasn't weird. And I think that's a big piece that it's normal. Like we don't have a weird family. We have a beautiful daughter that was an incredible gift through embryo donation that, you know, just is exciting for us. And she's the child that was always our child. And we have all of those feelings. And it's just important to normalize that different families come together in different ways. I think it's so important for clinics to tell the story in this way for their patient base, because I don't think it's useful to just say we're people that always make babies. And it just turns out into a miracle like that, because there's so much more nuance to it. And ultimately when people discover that it isn't that in a nutshell, that they're going to be disappointed and even angry with the people that led them to believe that, that that's what it is. And I also just, I, I don't think it's good marketing. I don't think it's responsible, but also I think there's a ton of value in saying this is the story of the people that we serve, but the story to tell is one of what people are going through. And I think the honesty of that does have a, a ton of value. I don't think that we need to pretend to be to have a hundred percent success rates. Nobody does that overtly, but it, it does tend to kind of be what people say. And I think that even you know when I'm talking with providers, they'll, they'll they'll say, yeah, well, you know, if you do three rounds of success, you know, the probability goes up beyond seventy percent, depending on the age group. It's like well, that's still not a hundred percent and the, the stakes are still pretty high. And so to me, it, it seems like also a really humanizing way of being able to, to see how this interaction between provider and patient works. And maybe you could just talk about that because to sort of wrap up my long thought here is that I don't think that your provider was portrayed as perfect. But I think because of the human relationship that you had, it would make someone see like, that's a person that I would trust that I would want to talk to about solving my problem. Yeah. I think as a patient, you know, our doctor really was like the captain of our ship, but as a patient, you, you have to be able to trust your doctor 
you know, because it is a very vulnerable experience, uh, you know, to go through. But I think what is best or most helpful for providers is to be able to have an honest conversation about, you know, this is what I can do as the doctor. You know, this, this, this is, you know, there, nobody's guaranteeing a baby at the end of this, but I'm going to use all the science for all that my training has to offer to get you what you want, which is, you know, most likely a child that's genetically yours that you carry, let's say. But there are also other options for you down the line that I'm going to help guide you towards if we get there. You know, that kind of feeling is like, we're going to help you and we're going to help you to the best of our ability. Now, doctors make babies from scratch, reproductive endocrinologists, right? Like it's amazing what they do. They're not necessarily therapists or, you know, that that's their job is not always in the emotional realm of all of this. So they could refer to mental health, which is really helpful a lot of times. But I think part of it is they, they just have to recognize it's just an emotional component and really figuring out what each doctor is comfortable with in terms of that element. The emotions are there. The And, you know, it's like you're taking emotional people who are stressed out and then you're jacking them up on hormones. Like, it's going to come into your office. <laughs> so knowing how to manage that and having the language to, you know, instill hope, but not false advertise what you're able to do comes out as very honest, you know, and caring that a provider can say like, this is, this is what I'm, this is what we can do. These are the percentages perhaps. But at the end of the day, if you're open to different ways to become a parent, there are other ways to do that. And I will help you get the information you need to make the best decision you can for yourself. You know, I think they're worried about in doing that sometimes. I think they're worried about their transparency and honesty and diligence being misinterpreted as a lack of confidence and or losing out to someone else who says, we've got great success rates and we'll get you babies. And I think there is some legitimacy to that. I think the positioning needs to be crafted really well because from my personal experience, there are people that just sell marketing solutions of, hey, and so I am very upfront in the onboarding process with potential clients. And sometimes that does result in people choosing not to do business with us because I say, here's the process. This is what we do. It isn't magic. We get results, but it comes from these things and it has to go in this order. And I think sometimes it would be just easier to find somebody that says, we'll have you so busy in a couple months just sign the dotted line here. And yeah, I mean, as a patient marketing aspect at all, my strength, I can only speak to sort of my own personal experience or experience as a patient into a doctor's office. And he said, or she said, I'm going to get you pregnant a hundred percent. I'd walk right out the door because that doesn't feel genuine to me. If I went into someone and I, you know, and I think what our doctor said was, was pretty good. He, these are all the different ways people have babies, right? At the end was adoption. And so it was step this, step that, step that. And I went, okay, there are, you know, and he goes, so there are choices. And, you know, I was diagnosed with diminished ovarian. I was diagnosed with diminished ovarian reserve. So that was our issue. And, you know, he said, we got to get you pregnant ASAP, but I don't know exactly how that's going to happen yet. You know, and this is the first line 
that this is the first thing we're going to try, you know? So we, we went, we did IVF before IUIs, actually. We kind of did IUIs just to like buy time because <laughs> they were like, you know, we went for it, it right off the bat. And I trusted his intentions and his skills and his success rate was great. And, you know, your, your rates are posted on a, on SART or whatever else. So that's something that an informed consumer can find. So you don't have to talk about it that much, but, but yeah, a guarantee of a baby wouldn't have sold me personally. Maybe it does for other people. I, the, the point could probably just be summarized if your well way of telling the story is an alternative way to just touting a certain metric. And it's one that is effective and makes an emotional honest and genuine connection that I also think is more thorough. It's, it would be better for the relationship for people to sort of know their provider in that way or, or anyone they might work with. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, you did mention something that has been a recurring theme in the patients that I've spoken to this week for National Infertility Awareness Week, which is you know, you mentioned, I have a medical condition. Why wouldn't I talk about this? Why wouldn't I want to connect with other people? I don't know people that are dealing with this themselves. In my personal life, I have the ability to find other people to share with them. And I talk about this because in the field, sometimes there's a tendency to have a self-fulfilling prophecy where we're not encouraging or, or even allowing the infrastructure for that, that people will often, I will show people, this is what people are saying on blogs. This is what your own patients are saying on social media. And I've, I've given toxic conferences where people say our patients don't want anybody to know. They don't want to talk about it at all. And I just think that concluding that way is making that decision for them. They're always going to people be people that don't want to share or connect with others. That is completely fine. But I think when we say universally, especially amid all this evidence to the contrary, that people don't want to talk about it, that we're making that decision for them. Do you ever run into that self filling prophecy? Well, I think, I think it's hard to assume anything that anybody else wants. And it's better to know that people have different styles and that this can be very private for people. But the more the whole industry promotes secrecy, the more shame gets built into it. And that's just an equation almost, you know? And so it's kind of like, I think people don't know how to talk about it. I think language is really hard. You know, people, patients often feel broken. The language around infertility is kind of terrible. You say you failed an IVF cycle. Well, let me tell you something. I didn't fail it. IVF failed me. And, but, you know, the, the way that it's, that we, everybody talks about it is like, I failed, I failed. When you say that over and over again, two cycles, oh my, this IUI, I, you know, I've been told I've been, you know, to failure doctor, but you know, in different ways. And yeah, I laugh about it. I have a good sense of humor, but that word, listen, all of the language diminished ovarian reserve, like that doesn't sound great, right? Like it's yes, they're diagnoses and they're labels, but when fertility patients are constantly wearing the, the language of these labels on our foreheads, it becomes internalized. And so I always say the IVF wasn't successful. 
you know, I correct people because that's the truth. It, it didn't work. It wasn't successful. Providers can use that language to help destigmatize the experience. You know, all right, that, that, that cycle failed or you failed that cycle or, you know, people will use that language and it doesn't feel good, but it's just, that's what it is. So there needs to be a real shift in the whole industry about allowing patients to, to feel okay about sharing if they want to. There are cultural reasons why people don't, personal reasons why people don't, you know, and all that can be taken into account. But to assume that nobody wants to talk about it just isn't true. And that's why there's so much underground, like, you know, social media and boards. And I'm not on any of that stuff, but I know a lot of people who are, and that's where they get the support. That's where they feel normal. And that's where they feel more whole. Because what happens is if you're reproductive system isn't working, you start feeling like the one thing I'm supposed to be able to do as a woman or as a man is to procreate. And that biological urge to do so and whatever roadblocks are there come to head and you just start feeling bad about yourself. And I definitely had those moments. And then I went, time out. If I had, you know, cancer or something else, I wouldn't sit in my house crying by myself only. I mean, I'm sure that would be part of it, but I would want to connect to other people. I would want to understand, you know, I would want to share, you know, personal thing, leaving choice to patients to, if you want to share, this is how you share. And if you don't, that's fine too. And giving them some of the tools destigmatize by using language that's a little bit more positive than failure. You know, there's an easy way to say, oh, IVF didn't it's an easy, it's easy to say IVF didn't, didn't work as opposed to fail, you know, as you can see, I'm transitioning to really work to educate. <laughs> so if, if that's not clear, you know, I, I just actually formed a, an educational organization with, with a, a girlfriend of mine that is focused, it's called Empower, and it's focused on educating everybody and giving tools to to people, to everybody involved, clinics and patients on how to talk about this stuff, how to process it, because there's just so much fear and there things have been done a certain way for so long and the landscape is changing a little bit and the needs are changing for, for patients and there's more advocacy happening and people aren't as ashamed as they were when you look at sperm donation, sort of the history of sperm donation and things like that, you know, and um, I think more men are, are, but, but I just think the landscape overall is changing and that patients do want to hear other people do actually feel better when they, when they share sometimes, but it's a really personal choice. And I think doctors, it's in the best interest of doctors to just honor the different preferences. That brought that brings you partly, I suppose, to meetings in the field we met at Pacific Coast Reproductive Society. So first question is, I just have to know, is that I noticed you from the movie. I recognized you from the movie. How often has that happened? My range of celebrity is quite narrow, <laughs> let me tell you, um, which is fine. I'm not an actress. I have no desire for any of that. I'm just not shy, I guess, you know, and I just felt like sharing was more important than my own <laughs> dignity or something because it is a very intimate film. And you do. I mean, you know, listen, there are moments where I was like, I could have put pants on, but in, but it's really honest and raw and real. So to your question, I, I, I don't walk down the street. No, but has it happened? Can you count on one hand, two? Has it happened? 
Yeah. I mean, you know, I, it happened the other day, actually, I was sitting at a, uh, like a coffee shop in my area and this woman kept staring at me, you know, and, and I was like, what is there something on my face? Like, you know, and so she just came, I was alone. I was doing some work and she came up to me and she was almost in tears. And she just said, you know, I, I just watched your movie and I showed my parents, I made my parents watch with me because we've been going through this and I haven't know, I, I haven't been able to talk about it. And I, and there, and when I do there, they don't understand. And so we all sat down together and watched it. And for the first time I felt connected to my family again, which I haven't felt in years. Cause I feel like we've been going through this secret thing, you know, for so long and, and, you know, and thank you. And that was, that's it for me you know, that one person, you know, and we do get emails a lot, like I said, from, from around and, you know, and I got a really nice email from an OB in somewhere in the middle of the country recently who um, has been delivering babies for like 30 or 40 years or something like that. And his daughter, and he's dealt with fertility in his practice in one way or another. um, And his daughter started having fertility problems and was going through IVF. And he just wrote that this um, brought him to tears and helped him understand his daughter's perspective and all the patients he's worked with over the years and how he delivers babies of this, you know, and, and that was really meaningful. And we get different bits of this. So it's not so much about recognition as much as it is about helping people who feel isolated and marginalized feel connected and seen and heard and validated. And that their story, I mean, like I said, our, our story is just a version of so many other people's stories who have to let go and and find different ways to build a family, you know, and you're and, and the constant process in all of this is holding two sides of grief and loss and and fear with hope and optimism and curiosity, uh, you know, in two different hands. And so the patient is kind of standing in between these two buckets of emotion and constantly trying to navigate and negotiate and ultimately, you know, hopefully people find their way to a resolution. And sometimes that resolution doesn't necessarily mean a baby. You know, sometimes that resolution can mean something else. But And that brings you to embryo donation and working with people who advocate for embryo donation and facilitate that. What would you what is the, the goal here in either provider education or patient education or advocacy? What what? What do you want to accomplish with embryo donation? What do you want people to know? Yeah, you know, I'm really at the beginning stages in forming this empower. Um, I mean, really at the beginning stages. So the goal, though, is embryo donation is a fairly new option. And I just and it's hard because it's considered a disposition option on a form. Right. So it's in the beginning of your IVF cycle, there's donate to science, thaw and discard, you know, or donate or embryo donation. And to me, people need a lot more information to make this disposition option. It's not exactly just a box you check on a form in the beginning of your fertility journey. That comes up in different ways. I think the needs of donors need to be addressed differently. I think the fact that most clinic-based programs are anonymous, that is going to shift a lot and, and should shift a lot. And just with, you know, 23andMe and all these different ways, you know, I think anonymity is going to change a lot. And so, you know, I just really want to be able to provide some personalized information for 
the field of embryo donation. So I'm sorting out exactly what that looks like, you know, sort of literally as we speak. <laughs> but um, but but I think it's I just think it's really important because there are, you know, there are like something like 1.5 million embryos on ice around the country or something like that. Right. And but the but the number of embryo donation cycles are under 2000, I believe, right around there. And so there's this disconnect. And I think part of that disconnect might be related to education and accessibility. And people ask me, you know, people that are interested, I get emails from people that are like, how do I find an embryo? <laughs> right. And it's like, you know, I had my own kind of bizarre process in finding an embryo, but, but it does need to be a little bit more accessible to people. So that's where I'm trying to dig in a little bit. How would you want to conclude? Our audience is mostly practice owners, physicians, and practice managers. Being National Infertility Awareness Week, we probably will have more people from the TTC and infertility community listening because we're sharing more there. What, how would you want to conclude about your narrative of the journey of what you've been through and of where you want to see it improve? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I just think in honor of National Infertility Awareness Week, it's just important to really continue to push the message that there's no shame and there shouldn't be stigma attached to fertility struggles. And that more than anything, especially with our film, the message is one of hope. You know, I cry a lot and there's a lot of hard things, but the ultimate message for me is if you want to have a family and you're open, there are different ways to do that in this day and age. And I think that practitioners and doctors and medical staff can really hopefully just be more sensitive to the emotional aspect of fertility, of the fertility journey and support their patients in seeing the, the, the bigger picture sometimes and just being really hold space for some of the emotional stuff and to refer to mental health if it feels like too much, you know, in, in-house essentially, uh, you know, and to, and I think it's just, I, I think the message is, you know, one of hope, especially this week, I think that's what we want to drill home is that it's really hard for a lot of people to do amazing, incredible things. And that if everyone's a bit more sensitive and use more positive language, perhaps we can, you know, further further the cause a little bit the movie is called one more shot it is available on netflix itunes and vimeo the story of maya and her husband noah and their infertility journey to embryo donation maya grobel thank you so much for coming on inside thank you Thanks so much. You've been listening to the Inside Reproductive Health Podcast with Griffin Jones. If you have a strong opinion about today's episode, we want to hear it. Agree, disagree, or have another point to add, please email podcast at fertilitybridge.com and tell us if you recommend a guest or a topic for a future episode. If you're ready to skyrocket your fertility practices growth and double your IVF cycles, schedule your fertility marketing discovery call by clicking the link in the show notes. And if you just want to learn more tactics to market your fertility center, download our free ebook, The Ultimate Guide to Fertility Marketing on fertilitybridge.com, also available in the show notes. Thanks again for listening to the Inside Reproductive Health Podcast, and we look forward to talking more fertility shop on future episodes.